0: Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Snake Oil Radio. Here on Blog Talk Radio, this is your host Jim Ventura. Thanks for joining me today. Um, first time tuning into the show? Uh, my name again is Jim Ventura. I am a navigational consultant. My expertise is in astrology, numerology, tarot, runes, all kinds of different oracles that I work with. Um, I've been doing this for many, many years. Uh, I do uh, quite a bit of life coaching, of course, connected with this type of work. Um, And uh, I am a published author, blog column uh, called Snake Oil, as well, that I do monthly, uh, available by email. Uh, So uh, all that good information is available on my website, JimVentura.com. And uh, you can email me at venturasaj at yahoo.com if you want to get added to the free monthly uh, newsletter mailing and get to read my columns and books and things and have access to uh, discounts on reading specials and all kinds of good info. So anyway, uh, onward, uh, we are continuing. i got some different themes to our shows here. Um, we're continuing with our Michael Teaching series, which I uh, actually was supposed to do this particular show last month, but... Um, I had internet go down and all kinds of problems that came literally like a half hour before the show was about to go on air, so I had to reschedule and didn't even get around to it until this month, so my apologies for uh, the delays in getting to the show here. But at least we finally made it, because I know uh, if you're catching this show, hopefully you've already caught some of the other Michael teaching shows that I have done. Um, And uh, if you haven't, uh, then then go, you, you know, all the shows are archived. Uh, right here at the, at the station of Blog Talk Radio. So uh, absolutely, uh, you can certainly listen to today's show, but you may want to go back over some of the early shows. There's only a couple of them so far. We're pretty early into the teachings. There's a lot of this. Um, the Michael teachings are a channeled series of uh, books that came out from Chelsea Quinn Yarbrough called Messages from Michael. Um, uh, Jose Stevens, a number of uh, very great authors that channeled the Michael material um, that we're going to be talking about today, um, and uh, and uh, you, a lot of these books are still available. I know they've been reprinted many times over, and really good material to learn. But again, you can also learn, of course, by following the show, which is why we are doing this. Uh, really helpful material. Uh, And and I I know you guys to get a lot out of it So uh, this particular show uh, is not a call-in show So I see I already got some callers I won't be getting to calls today, guys This is a a teaching show Um, When you're looking for mini-reading shows Those are the Astrology Update Listener's Choice shows I usually do about every month or two Um, I do take calls during those shows So I will not be taking calls for today's show Um, This is just instructional uh, and I will be doing an Astrology Update show um, next month. Uh, I'm going to def- definitively do it. i was supposed to do it in August. but just was too busy. But we'll be doing one in uh, September. Uh, okay. So uh, we started off, you know I want to go back over the Michael material that we've already covered. Um, this show, what we're going to talk about some very interesting things that I, I know will be of value to to uh, uh so many people we have been talking about essence um and there are seven again in the michael system there are seven types of essences as there are seven soul ages seven goals seven moments seven attitudes seven fears seven centers all kinds of things which we'll eventually talk about in all the shows we've already talked about soul age and uh the planes of existence um from the physical plane back to the Tao. all those things are already covered in the uh, original couple of shows that I did. So what we talked about in the last show was we were talking about essence. So uh, I only got through half of the seven essences. Um, so what we're looking at when we're looking at understanding essences, um one of the ultimate goals of the Michael teachings is agape or unconditional love. So the more access you have to your essence, who you are at the core of your being, uh, the more fulfilled you are, the more you understand your life task and your purpose, um, and the more you experience agape. So there so there's multiple reasons for, for understanding your essence, figuring what that is out, all about, and having more contact with it. It really will make you much more aware of your purpose and who you are as a person. The other benefit, of course, in understanding the essences, the seven different essences, including your own, is you will be able to identify other people's essence. And this is very pivotal in navigating in relationships with partners, friendships, family relationships, work relationships, people in general. Identifying essence is incredibly useful uh, because you will understand people of the same essence and having a similar thought process or focus and understand why others have a different focus in terms of their process. So multiple reasons for value in understanding essence. So um, I want to now, let me, a couple of points uh, just to bring back into play here. Um, when we begin our reincarnational cycles and we commit to having life lifetimes in in, uh, in the physical plane, in this case on Earth, um, we move through these different cycles. But once, we're, once we are, are, are uh, I hate to say cast out because it sounds religious and negative and it's not that, when we separate from the Tao, God, in that sense, and begin our in- reincarnational cycles and we're going eventually back to the Tao, to God, even though we're never truly away from it, what we're looking at is um, the essence that we choose is going to be that through all of your lifetimes. So that's very significant in the teachings to understand that essence does not change. Your beliefs change, meaning your goals, your mode, your attitude. This can make the lifetimes, different lifetimes, look very different in terms of focus. But essence is ultimately stationary, and that's that's what we are. Uh, another value in understanding it. Now, what we are going to be able to get to today is I'm going to talk about other influences like essence twins or slash soulmates, heartlinks, task companions, things of that nature. Other members of your soul group that may have a bleed through at some level where some of those attributes or characteristics may show up in who you are. But ultimately, again, we will be carving out an understanding of essence and what that is. And, you know, if you listen to this and you go through it, you should be able to figure out your essence. It is normal, by the way to sometimes have a little struggle with this, meaning um, sometimes people might think, you know, uh, you're, you're one or two different things. You might, when I originally uh, first learned the system, I was, wasn't was sure if I was a, um, a, a, a artisan, a scholar, or a priest. Uh, I could see all of those attributes. Uh, and then the more I kind of studied and learned, it became crystal clear. That was a scholar uh, of no debate, um, and uh, you know uh, and we'll talk more about that. We talk about scholar essence, and you'll understand that too. So also, the seven roles or essences are not evenly divided. Um, sages, kings, and uh, priests are less common, uh, that's where they're considered uh, they're called exalted roles. Um, there's less of them, uh, just mathematically in the world. Um, the ordinal or cardinal roles, um, uh, not cardinal, the ordinal roles are um, artisans, servers, and warriors. Uh, there are more of them by breakdown. Uh, and then scholar essence is the neutral role, and uh, that's, you know, we're usually about 12% of the population, a relatively uh, reasonably even number in those terms as well. So I want to just kind of go quick, a little backtrack of the separate different essences and uh, the ones that we covered already. So we talked about the expression axis, which are artisans and priests. Positive pole of the artisan is creation. Its negative is self-deception or artifice. So artists, of course, are wired to be creative, to be expressive. They often are artistically talented. Um, I just had um, a handyman that was working in my house on a busted pipe uh, on the last week or two, and he did a very good job, but I, I knew right away when he came in and started working that he was an artisan. Because he treated the project like it was uh, artwork. He was going to do a really good job, and he ended up doing a really good job. But he also was a little bit spacey, uh, which I say humorously, and I know a lot with artisans. That's because the artisan energy is so creative that there's so many multiple channels of information coming in all of the time to the artisan that to others that can uh, uh, sometimes appear scattered. But that is part of creativity. So the positive pole, again, of artisan is uh, creation, which is the ability to be creative in almost any way potentially possible. Its negative is self-deception or artifice, and that just means a tendency to sometimes create in your mind the way you want things to be or the way they should be or and not really necessarily always pay attention to what's actually happening and what you are really creating in that sense. Um, the exalted expression axis is the sage essence, positive pole of sage is dissemination, negative pole is oration, uh, sages are often very noticeable, they're often loud in tone and character, um, and, uh, and, uh, the positive pole of dissemination is the sage loves to give that information, guidance, um, advice, in general they like to talk, they like to communicate, that becomes the priority focus for the sage, Uh, in whatever capacity the sage operates in during that lifetime. Um, The negative of the sage is oration. And this is a notorious attribute of of sages sometimes to talk, even sometimes when the audience isn't paying attention anymore. Uh, Sages sometimes have trouble uh, knowing when to not always communicate (laughs) and express. The sage can often live life as if they are on stage, even when they're not necessarily living a lifetime when they're on stage in that sense that is the uh, uh, the gift and and the uh, the dynamic behind the sage essence so the inspiration access is where we left off we talked a little bit about the server I was just beginning to talk about pre so let's go back over the ordinal of the two um, inspiration um, dynamics and again this is another breakdown guys in understanding essence is your goal is the priority to be expressive is it to inspire others is it to take action or is it to assimilate? Those are the three centers that the, um, the essences break down into. So now we're talking about the inspiration roles. So I mentioned that the server is, um, positive whole. A server is service. Its negative is um, frustration or bondage. So when you are a server, the wiring is to help, to guide, to inspire, to uh, heal other people. It's part of the core of your being in that sense. Um, The strength of the server is its ability to be of service. Um, That could be anywhere, anytime, and in any way. Um, Servers don't always necessarily rise to great levels of prominence necessarily in society, but there have been kings and queens historically that have been servers, of course. We even had a president... Uh, back in the 70s, that was the server, and that, that's not very common. It was Jimmy Carter. But you can see the dynamic. Even now, Jimmy Carter, I believe it in his early 90s, and he's doing tremendous work still of humanitarian efforts and helping people. And there was a very different vibe about him than we find with a lot of other different um, essences in that sense. Uh, so, uh, uh, so the, again, the positive is that his service, server can... serve anywhere and in any capacity in any way. The negative is bondage or frustration. And bondage or frustration means sometimes being of service in a way that's not beneficial for you. Um, uh, I had a client years ago, clearly a server uh, and and she was married to a man who was very nasty and very angry and she'd been married to him for many years. He often put her down. He was sick a lot. And, you know, uh, Asking her why she was staying in this marriage was very difficult for her to to understand, even to deal with, because she felt it was her responsibility to take care of him, even though she was miserable and unhappy. And listen, you don't have to be a server to go through that. People go through things like that at different times, in different ways, depending on the circumstances. But I'm using this as an illustration of the tendency sometimes for the server to get caught up in bondage or frustration. Frustration is being irritated, as can be, but not doing anything about it. And bondage is is to be tied to something um, and almost, in essence, enslaved to it in that way without realizing um, uh, that, that the suffering may not necessarily be worth it. So that is one of the things that servers can potentially struggle with. Um, I'm not a server, but I was raised by two servers, both my mom and my dad. So, so much of that imprint came through for me uh as a child, in terms of behavioral things, so I got involved in a lot of service professions. I was a waiter, I was a bartender. I did a lot of things that could make me look server-ish in terms of disposition. But ultimately, I'm not a server. It's not my essence in that sense. But and just by the way guys, just so you know, there are no essences that are better than others. That's absolutely ludicrous. Um, there are no, uh, there's no, there's no better than another. Absolutely not. So what we left off the last time in the last show is we began to talk a bit about the priest. Now, again, the priest is the exalted inspiration role uh, as opposed to the server being the ordinal inspiration role, both the same motive to inspire others, but the priest tends to do it in a much more grander, larger type of a way. Uh, famous priests that I can think of off the bat, uh, the current president right now, Barack Obama is a priest, uh, Oprah Winfrey. Um, Alan Alda from MASH if anybody remembers that reference in that sense uh, positive pole of the priest is compassion and it's negative is zeal now anyone old enough to remember the show MASH and remember the character Hawkeye Pierce and Alan Alda he literally played a priest character um, and is actually a priest in essence as an actor which is interesting uh, and really did that well because you know, he was funny, he was witty he obviously had a very um, charismatic type of a disposition was incredibly compassionate at a very high level as priests often are. Um, But he could be zealous. Uh, And you know, zeal is sort of that getting up, preaching and telling people how they should be. You can see some of this element surface with Oprah Winfrey as well, but where the server can serve kind of one-on-one in a more independent way. And then sometimes handle larger groups. The priest is prone towards acquiring a flock, so it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be a priest or in any way religiously tied in a lifetime. There have been many brothel owners historically that have been priests that see their women, uh, in some cases in other cultures, men that work for them as well, too, um, as their flock, and in some ways, the people that they took care of. Um, so the priest can operate in, in any capacity in that sense. But again, positive is compassion, the negative is zeal. In, in my family, I have one of my sisters is a priest. um, and she she is probably the most compassionate person. Um, she can feel for anyone and anything and have a very strong empathy in that sense. It's very much wired into her being. Uh, but she is very zealous. There are times she gets caught up in how everyone should be and how people should operate and what should be your priority and things of that nature. And that could be the difficult side of the priest essence in that sense. Okay, so let's jump into the action. And literally a literally good word there to say jump into the action roles here. So now we're going to talk about the action roles. Um, and the action roles are um, are are the uh, – okay, uh, I see a couple of guests in the, in the thing here. I just had to pause for a second. The action roles are the warriors and the kings. Again, we have a much higher uh, amount of warriors uh, in the world than kings. Kings only make up about 1% of the population. Um and warriors probably more like about eighteen to twenty percent similar ranges of server and artisans, by the way um so the uh, the action roles again are geared toward action uh the ordinal action role is the warrior positive pole of a warrior in its expression is persuasion, its negative is coercion, so warriors are very good at convincing you of things um. <laughs> they're just good at it. Uh, I've got a number of warrior friends. I can sometimes come across a little warrior-ish in my disposition. That's because my overly is my goal mode attitude, things of that nature are very warrior-ish. We'll talk about that in later shows, and you'll understand where that comes from, uh, so I can have a little bit of that energy attached to me. Um, warriors tend to look very solid, male or female. Um, there's a solidness about warriors. They or Artisans appear much more um, uh, etheric, Sometimes a warrior seems much more grounded in its approach. Uh, again, of course, warriors naturally gravitate toward uh, toward the military, toward salesmanship, um, all kinds of things. You know, a warrior can be um, anywhere, a- in any place, of course. But the goal is to take some type of an action. But a lot of personal trainers that are warriors in this way. Uh, but that's what it is. They're good at persuading you of things. Warriors have that talent. Uh, The negative expression of the warrior is coercion. So for warriors, um, if you won't do what they want, they'll often kind of push to sort of make you do what they want. You know, sometimes this is physical. Um, I've had warrior female friends um, who have been where it was more um, like just verbal and and even like pushing the guilt button sometimes in that sense, but that 's that whole dynamic behind warriors really uh, you know amazing ability again to to influence others uh warriors tend to make very good imprinters of children by the way, um, often very very organized, often very efficient um, very physical and tangible in the approach to things, um, very much geared toward goal setting in that sense. Uh, and, and handling projects often on their own. Uh so uh, you know, some famous warriors, uh just to give you an example of this, so we can kind of see that the type of identification there. Um uh, Patton, uh Theodore Roosevelt, Eisenhower, um Indira Gandhi, um Henry Ford, uh Gertrude Stein, John Wayne, um oh, Jane Fonda, um uh Martin Luther King, um, they tend to be very productive, structured, organized, aggressive, confronting, um, Robin Hoodish, truthful, resourceful, determined, family oriented, protecting, uh, defending, skilled, grounded, proud, principled. Um the negatives can be bullying, narrow minded, intimidating, pushy, emotionally withheld, overwrought, stressed, subjective, hot tempered, overbearing, blunt, tactless all kinds of good things like that. Uh, everything, of course, always has its positive and negative uh, expressions and, and its dynamics. Uh, so, you know, it, it's always a little uncomfortable to hear a negative poll when you do identify essence. Sometimes people are in denial of it. But listen, we're human beings. We, we veer between those polarities. I see I've got callers jumping in. Again, I remind everybody this is not a call-in show. Um, the only call-in shows right now that I do are my astrology update shows. Um, halfway through those shows, after the astrological updates, I do take live calls for, uh, for questions. Otherwise, I won't be taking calls today um, on the show because this is more of an instructional show, so we're not doing live calls. Uh, okay, so warriors. Now, the next role we're going to talk about are the kings. Again, kings... You know, you don't see a lot of them for obvious reasons. Um, And again, with just this as a designation of something, it doesn't necessarily mean that every king becomes a king. Um, You can find a homeless man um, that is a king in a lifetime. Uh, Of course, he will be kind of the king of the homeless man in that sense and often have that attribute about that individual. Um, The king, the positive pole of the king is is, uh, mastery, and its negative is tyranny. So, the strength that we find with kings is that positive of mastery is their ability to do things very well. If the king sets in something into motion, they will often master it and do it well in that sense. Um, on the negative polarity or expression, um, what we look at with the king is tyranny, which can be off with your heads, uh, a tendency to be, again, tyrannical in their approach uh things of course uh, kings tend to gravitate toward having subjects of course in that sense uh and and that's why they are um you know prone that way in that sense um it's hard not to notice a king uh, because they're not a common essence they're usually very very noticeable to me in that sense i worked for a few um in my day um i i really like kings Uh, i get along with them very well in that sense um They can be kind of dominating, but it's kind of like a warrior, um, but in even a more intensified kind of a way, um, because, uh, again, we're looking at 1%, 2% of the population here. They're not very, very common. Um, Famous kings would be uh, John F. Kennedy, Alexander the Great, um, Jack Kerouac, um, Paul Getty, uh, Franklin Roosevelt, um, Mikhail Gorbachev, Catherine Hepburn, Uh, uh, Donald Trump, um, uh, Richard the Lionhearted, um, Aristotle, uh, Mark Anthony. uh, Again, you you often, kings are often very notable characters in that sense. Um, What we find with both kings and warriors, by the way, there is often a very, very strong sense of chivalry that's very much part of their wiring in that sense. I have uh, two friends of mine uh two of my uh task companions that I'm close friends with, we'll talk about that in a minute, are both kings and I mean are uh, both warriors and they are both very chivalrous. It's funny because they both were sort of I I kumus was a somewhat I guess lack of way of putting it, uh floody in their younger days where they played and they were very sexual as kings and, and, and warriors often are. Um but they're very chivalrous. They're both married and very clear on whether they would cheat and whether they would ever do something like that, uh, to be accused of it is outlandish to them in that sense. Um, again, I'm not saying every warrior or king is not a cheater. Uh, I'm not saying that. I'm saying there's a tendency to be very chivalrous in their approach to how they do things in that sense. In fact, all the different essences tend to relate in relation uh, to relationships in a different way. Again, if you're an artisan or a sage... You tend to be very much a relationship is about expression it 's about communication it 's about how you exchange with each other in that sense um for service and priest it's how you inspire a partner how you inspire um in general and in the world in that way and for the action oriented roles of warrior and king um it's about um how you uh how you how, how you mold how you influence um, you know i I notice this with one of my warrior friend he has two children and um, it is interesting to watch how he molds them in that sense. He definitely maneuvered his son a little bit towards sports because he's a personal trainer, but his son showed some ability there, and then he kind of pushed it a little bit in that sense, in both a good way, you know, in that respect as well, too. So uh, Warriors and, and Kings tend to be very, very good um, uh, imprinters in that way. But again, it's very action-oriented. Uh I know if you ask a warrior and a king, they're often their response is more physical, more action oriented in its base and how they live and how they necessarily do things. Okay. So the last of the seven roles is the scholar. Now the scholar is the assimilation role and it's neutral. So again, how do you know if you're a scholar or you're around a scholar? Positive pole of a scholar is knowledge and its negative is hypothesis. So the scholars are the most neutral of roles uh, uh, which is interesting for scholars, and, and, and I'm a scholar. So, um, you know, it, it's very funny because I've had friends in the past who were sages or warriors or servers or, or things of that nature, and then when I said I was a scholar, they sort of said, oh, you got the good one, you're the smart one. I was, oh, God, no, no, no. You can be a sage, you can be a server, and be very knowledgeable in that sense uh, it's not what we're talking about here we're talking about the wiring of priority so the positive of the scholar again is knowledge is negative is hypothesis or theory so scholars tend to be very studious when they learn information they tend to learn it ad nauseum. um and become very very good at it scholars often have a specific area or subject they're very knowledgeable about and then they often have pockets of other weird things that they may have uh, quite a bit of knowledge about um, I, I, I'm definitely wired that way. Obviously, metaphysics is one of my uh, major areas of study, and I know tons about this subject, but I also know a lot about music. I know quite a bit about gambling. I know a bit about mathematics. I know a bit about animals. I mean, I've got other pockets, but primarily, you know, I, I'm creative. Um, so... Uh, the knowledge part is there. Scholars tend to naturally gravitate toward learning in, in traditional schooling, but sometimes follow their own path with it in that sense as well. Um, it can be one of the more boring roles in that sense, because scholars tend to be somewhat neutral. Um, <laughs> and I say that humorously. Uh, the negative expression of, of course, is hypothesis or theory. And anyone ever been subjected to a scholar hypothesizing or theorizing about what might be or could be those what we're talking about, how torturous that could be. You know, and the other end of it is to the scholar itself, endlessly trying to deduce, to figure out, uh, feels very different than knowledge itself. It becomes almost like mental spinning in that sense. Scholars are often very studious, often very neutral, they tend to make good judges, uh good good uh you know, people to bounce ideas off of because of that very nature. Of, of the scholar and its neutrality. Now, one of the things that the scholar is able to do that is somewhat different than the other roles in that way is whatever. If a scholar is around a lot of artisans, they tend will tend to become and uh, to assimilate that and become somewhat more creative. Um, I was an art major in college, and I was sort of, I went to art school for advertising art and and, and design and marketing. So many of the people. Within that, when my classes were artisans, of course, there were some priests and warriors and things too, but it was heavily preponderance toward artisans, no surprise. So that was a very creative, very artistic period for me in that sense, where I became more artisan-like because I was around them. But you still, always with scholars, when you scratch the surface, you're still going to get that sort of neutrality that's very notable and obvious to scholars. You know, a lot of times, you uh, men and women that are scholars, you can kind of see the high forehead there's a certain dynamic there that is very spotable in that sense. Even, you know, if a, if a if a scholar is studying fashion or design during that particular lifetime, and that's the area of expertise, of course, they're going to be a lot more colorful than your average scholar. But if you still kind of scratch the surface behind that, you still kind of get a very kind of peaceful, neutral character um, behind that. Because I, I can be a very colorful character at some levels my communication and my expression but really kind of scratch the surface and, and I, I am actually really really neutral I do tend to see multiple sides of things rather easily so scholars make up uh, about uh, maybe 10-12% of the population let's see if you can find an example of something the scholars so positive of the scholar is understanding knowledgeable truthful thorough practical integrating neutral mediating mediating grounded solid curious observing uh, clarity, logical, um, go anywhere once, brave yet reticent about it, keep people from repeating mistakes because they've remembered them. Uh, yeah, that's a, I have an unbelievable memory. It, it's it's weird to people, the stuff I can remember, which is very common for scholars, by the way. The negative expression of, of Paul is theory, being theori- theoretical, abstract, confused, overly intellectual, reclusive, withdrawn, pontificating, overbearing, tedious, boring, slow, dull, dusty, fastidious, um, invisible, or even arrogant. Uh, So, um, you know, finding famous scholars, certainly doable. Um, I'm trying to think of celebrities, but we don't find too many of those, although they certainly exist. But some famous ones are um, Howard Hughes, uh, Rodney Collin, Picasso, Margaret Thatcher, Margaret Mead, Socrates um uh carlos castaneda galileo um so but again scholars can be anywhere in any place any time of course okay so we've covered all 7 of the essences. now Let's talk a little bit about this so no one's really, really confused. If you go back over these, and that's what I would suggest, go listen to the other show if you're just catching this as well, um, going back over the different essences uh themselves. If you're still confused about what essence you are, um, you should probably have narrowed it down at the very least. Some of you are going to know right away, and you'll also begin to be able to identify other people just from this material. You can always do a lot more research, of course, by reading some of the Chelsea Quinn Yarborough books or Jose Steiman books or any of other books in the, in the Michael series that are still out and about. Um, but if you are confused and you're caught between a couple, um, that's cool. That's normal. Sometimes it takes a little bit to kind of maneuver around um, again, I when I, I said it early on in the show, I at first, again, I wasn't sure whether I was a scholar, I was a priest, or an arson. Those are the ones that I, I felt more pulled toward in that sense. Uh, although people often think I'm a sage, I've been accused of being... Uh, very uh, king-like and tyrannical at times, too. But again, I'm, I'm really none of those things. I am really at the core of my being I'm a scholar. I just uh, really love information itself. Like, like I mean, it's like the be-all and end-all to me is information. So that's one of the breakdowns, guys. You can often at least break it down is what's most important to you really when you get to the core of your being is how you express yourself,
1: who you are.
0: Um, how you imprint the world creatively, in that sense, uh, with communication or literal creativity. If that is the case, you are likely to be an artisan or sage. If it's to inspire others, um, it's to help them, to heal them, to guide them, to, uh, again, to uh, act as an inspirational conduit at some levels, you are very likely to be a server or a priest. If it's to guide people, to take action, to get things done, uh, to change the world in a tangible, practical sense, to create a strong, solid family, uh, to achieve goals, and that is the primary focus of your energy, it's very likely that you are a warrior or a king. If you are, your um, your the lifeblood is information itself, um, knowledge, learning, uh, in that sense. That is everything to you in that sense. If you are often painfully neutral and have a very easy time seeing multiple sides of situations, uh, in that sense, and have a tendency to footnote and sometimes like to study more than necessary, act, you are probably likely to be a scholar. Um, if you see yourself in all of these roles, um, then you also may very well be a scholar because of that scholar's ability to somewhat slide. So you can kind of narrow it down. And a good thing, uh, rule of thumb is, again, look at the people around you because that will also help a lot. You'll start to be able to identify sages rather quickly and artisans and warriors. You'll, you'll get good at it. And I'm telling you, it, it can be more useful in dealing with people because the way you talk to an artisan, of course, is going to be very different than the way we necessarily approach the priorities of a warrior or a server or another scholar in that sense. So this is very, very key uh, in that way. Uh been accused of being a suck-up sometimes and manipulative in how I influence people, but it's my scholarly ability to recognize other essences and act accordingly. I'm often very loyal to warriors and kings in a way because I know they appreciate that. I often point out the inspirational qualities of servers and priests uh, in that sense, Uh, and I often am very impressed by the creativity of, of sages and artisans who often say so. So there's a purpose in that. So again, if you're struggling, you will eventually figure it out. You don't have to know right away. Sometimes uh, it's, it's a little process of trial and error before you get the hang of it. But by kind of going over these, you will. So a couple of the factors I want to talk about. I want to talk about essence twins, TCs, task companions, and heart links. Because people often search diligently for the uh, proverbial soulmate. Um, in the Michael teachings, they call that an essence twin. And the idea behind that is when you... Uh, When you leave the Tao and make the decision to begin to incarnate in the physical world, on the physical plane, um, often I think it's like 95% of fragments, which your individual selves are called fragments, that make up a larger whole. Um, Often fragments cast with an essence twin. Now the essence twin may be the actual same essence as you, and in many cases it is, but it is possible to cast with someone of a different essence. So here's the interesting thing. If, like, for instance, my essence twin is artisan, um, so I have a very strong creative artisan blueprint to me that also in some ways comes from my artisan essence twin. I'm uh, very good at writing, uh, very good at speaking, and very good at singing. Uh, artistically, I'm very talented. Um, uh, art and creativity comes very easy to me for a scholar. Um, I've studied it. But it's also something that I was inherently, I wanted to be a cartoonist when I was younger. So I also had the distinct pleasure, so to speak, of meeting my essence twin. So again, your essence twin may be the same essence, it may not. So if your essence twin is alive in the physical, um, which sometimes it will be uh, in that sense, um, you will have a bleed through that way. Often when the essence twin is not physically incarnated, in this time, and this place, the bleed through is stronger because of that bond, um, when, when essence, your essence twin is in the alpha, not the alpha, in the uh, astral, and that's in between lifetimes. So if you are finding yourself really being pulled between two essences, it could also, again, very well be that your essence twin is of a different essence, and that's why that some of that blend pulls so strongly in. So now essence twin relationships tend to be very, very intense, guys. I know people t- really want to search for it, but um, it is not, always necessarily easy. It is one of the strongest mirrors you will ever encounter. Your essence twin will always be within, uh, you know, uh, one or two degrees, so to speak, of same soul age. So if you're a fourth-level mature soul, your essence twin might be fourth mature, fifth mature, third mature. But, you know, you won't be that buried off in that sense in terms of soul age. Um, You know, famous essence twins, um, uh, Yoko Ono and John Lennon, So essence twin relationships really are compelling, uh, but they often are not always easily able to be maintained in that sense because of the intensity. Looking at your mirror that directly takes a lot of strength in that sense. Um, I was actually only in in 2001, I met my essence twin, which is very trippy. I've written about this in my books. Um, You can read Dirty Little Secrets where I talk about this. Um, and uh, we were only actually in each other's lives for six weeks. It was incredibly intense, um, but it did not thrive and last. Uh, Some Essence Twin relationships will. uh, According to the Michael teachings, about one out of four of your lifetimes you will encounter uh, and interact in some capacity with Essence Twin, but not one in four approximately. So the other significant relationship roles in the Michael teachings are heart links. The heart links tend to be souls you've known in multiple lifetimes. They may or may not be the same essence, um, and you often have a great love and a great affinity for each other. Um, sometimes you'll be born as family members, and that way, sometimes it's more intimate relationships, with sexual partner relationships as well. But heart links tend to be heart links tend to be familiar souls that you've known through multiple lifetimes. That often kind of help you open up your heart, help that thrive and, and operate. So. When people ask to look for the soulmates, I often say, well, you might be your essence twin. I often say you might actually want to look at the idea of ultimately finding a heart link or a task companion. Now, TC task companions with TCs, um, you may have more than one. Where we have one essence twin, um, you may have more than one task companion. The task companion relationship is actually often very fluid and relatively easy, Um or I would say TC, just for short, shortened version. But the task companion, or the TC um, relationships are often people that we have worked with in other lifetimes. So in other words, when you get with a task companion, you tend to have a similar focus, and often in business or goals in general. And the the entrance into each other's lives tend to facilitate the growth of that development of projects, businesses, things of that nature. Now, if you're a mother or father with children, and that is a huge part of your goal in this lifetime, you may have a task companion that's also rearing children, and that is part of that process where you're looking at perfecting that. Um, I am aware of – I I have a number of task companions um, that I have have met – uh, so I've been, I guess, kind of lucky that way. Some people just have one, some people have more. Um, I get along very well. One of my test companions is a priest, and two of the other TCs that I have are both warriors. So uh, I, I tend to get along pretty well with warriors and, and priests, by the way. But I kind of get along with everybody, typical scholar thing for the most part. Um, and that's a whole nother subject. Uh, <laughs> but the test companion relationship, sometimes people will marry their test companions. And those can be very, very, uh, productive and fluid relationships by all means. Um, you know, I, I, I had some real theatrics emotionally and psychologically when I met my essence twin. Um, and, uh, but the, by, I've had very little trouble emotion psychologically with my task companions, but my test relationships are friendships more so. You know what I mean? Where my essence twin relationship was really a love thing, it was very all or nothing, very extreme. Um, so those are three of the primary relationship dynamics. So if your task companions are of different essences, you'll find a little bit of that bleed through that may come through. Same thing with Essence Twin, uh, to some extent heart Heartlinks. Um, the other bleed in, and we're going to talk about this in the next show because we're actually running out of time here and we're going to be finishing up in a couple of minutes here. But we'll talk about this in the next show. As we start to get into Overleaves, which are the, your life goal, your mode, how you get things done, the attitude, the way you view life, um, your centering uh, and uh, chief negative features. As we talk and as we get into those in the next shows, we'll talk about the goals next time. If you have goals that fall into the scholar column um, in, in the charts uh, and looking at that that way, even if you're a sage, you're going to come across very scholarly because your 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 overlays, your goals, your modes, your attitudes, things of a nature are sort of like the quote unquote scholar stuff. Um, I, like, for instance, I am a scholar, but my goal is the same goal of a scholar. But my modus operandi is the mode that, uh, is the warrior mode. and I'll explain all this in the next show. My attitude is the attitude of a king. Um, my chief negative features are king. You have two of them. We'll talk about that when we get to the fear or chief negative feature. My chief negative features are king and um, priest. So that's where we get these different flavors operating in that sense, uh, accordingly. So um, we're going to talk about that in the next show. So, okay. So um, I I remind all the callers that jumped in. I said this at the beginning of the show. Thank you for calling in. You don't have to call in to listen to a show. um, But um, the only shows right now that I take home are the logical update shows that I do usually every month or two. I will be doing one in September, probably in the middle of September um, I do an astrology update, and then halfway through, I take a couple of live calls. Um, so, if you want to call in, uh, show those are the shows you want to look for. I do the Michael teachings at this point. We're not taking calls. Same thing when I do the column read at the beginning of each month uh, on air, uh, because people are more inclined to ask for mini readings by phone for uh, their teaching shows. So that's why we don't do that. Okay. So hope you enjoyed all the information today again i'll be back next month and we'll start talking about the overlays the goal the mode the attitudes and give you a fuller fuller painting of the michael material um i will be back at the beginning of september to do a live column read and a subsequent talk about that and then i'll do an astrological update show um, uh sometime in september as well it's another michael class in september as well i should be doing three shows in september so Thanks for joining me. Uh, email me at com if you would like to uh, get added to the monthly newsletter mailing list. Uh, it's free and it's blind copied, so over no and get your email address from me, uh, com. so you can uh, read the columns and, and have access to all kinds of good stuff. So uh, thanks for joining me today. Go to JimVenture.com if you want any more information about any of my books or work that I do or booking a personal session. Everyone have an awesome day. Thanks for tuning into the show, and we'll catch up with you next time. Cheers.